Guess what, Lions? For as little as $5 a month, you can get access to exclusive bonus audio content and help this program grow by joining the Lions of Liberty Pride. To learn more, head over to lionsofliberty.com slash support. Welcome to Felony Friday, a presentation of the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, John Odermatt. Felons, friends, and freedom lovers, welcome back to another edition of Felony Friday. Of course, Felony Friday is a weekly show here on the Lions of Liberty podcast where we focus each and every Friday on exposing injustice in this country's broken criminal justice system. This is only one of three shows here we have, and we kick things off every Monday with our flagship program, our longest-running program, hosted by Mark Clare. He interviews leading minds in the liberty movement. He hosts roundtable discussions, often our very popular libertarians in living rooms drinking liquor is hosted by Mark on Monday. Sometimes it's hosted on Wednesday by Brian McWilliams, the host of Electric Liberty Land, Electric Liberty Land is your weekly shot of culture, comedy, and liberty. And Brian has been tearing it up with Electric Liberty Land, stirring up just a little bit of controversy in uh, in the libertarian universe. So if you want to know what that controversy is, you're going to have to listen to Brian's last two shows. Definitely check those out. And of course, we wrap things up with this show, Felony Friday, every week. So you're going to want to subscribe because you don't want to miss any of this content, guys. You can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to get the full Lions of Liberty experience, you're going to want to join our private Facebook group, the Lions of Liberty Forum. Uh, Facebook, as you guys know, I'm sure, is a crazy, crazy place. Uh, people waste a lot of time on Facebook. I've wasted a lot of time on Facebook. But I'll tell you one thing about the Lions of Liberty Forum. It is a nice little corner of the internet where we talk liberty, we tell some jokes, and generally, we have a good time. Um, there's no crazy people in there, you know, screaming at you and calling you names. It's a respectful place, and people carry themselves in a uh, in a certain way. We've we've only had to kick out like one or two people, so it's a it's just a great place all around. You can join the Lions of Liberty Forum by going on Facebook, typing "Lions of Liberty Forum" in the search bar at the top. It'll pop up, and if you're a real person, we'll get you right in. This episode of Felony Friday is the 107th episode. That means you'll be able to find the show notes page with links and notes to everything that I'm going to talk about with my guest today at lionsofliberty.com slash FF107. And this episode of Felony Friday is brought to you by the Better Money Pack. The Better Money Pack was founded to identify and help elect candidates who will fight for three founding principles, financial responsibility, safe cryptocurrency, and free market solutions. The Better Money Pack will invest in five selected races in 2018 to elect candidates at the state level who embody the fight for better money. They will produce and distribute comprehensive media outreach campaigns to win elections. You can donate today through the Lions of Liberty affiliate link. Just go to lionsofliberty.com slash money. My guest today on Felony Friday is Rocky Ferenberg. Rocky is a listener of this show, and he reached out to me a couple weeks back and asked about coming on to share his story. And you know, I'm always interested in bringing people on the show, people who listen to the show, people who have a criminal past on to share their story. 
um, because I think it's important. It's important for listeners to know. It's important for everyone out there to know that there's people around us who have a criminal record, who are functioning in society, who are contributing to society and succeeding in society. So I, I jumped to the chance to bring Rocky on. Rocky resides in Idaho, and he does have an extensive rap sheet with uh, misdemeanors and uh, felony as well. He spent about two years, I think, collectively incarcerated. We'll get into the details of that during the show. Um, Rocky uh, did have, formerly had a, uh, a drug addiction, and he's been clean f- for more than six years. And since the time that he's gotten out of prison and that he's been clean, he's graduated with multiple degrees. He now plays in a rock band, donates his time and energy to his community, speaks at drug rehab centers, and now is currently running for a state-level office in Idaho. Rocky, welcome to Felony Friday. Thanks for having me, John. I really appreciate it. Well, thanks for coming on the show. And like I said in the intro, you know, I'm definitely interested in bringing on listeners of this show, people who have a story to share. And I think you absolutely have a story to share. You have, you know, a past that you've had to overcome some obstacles, maybe some of them self-inflicted. Um, but a story like yours, I think, proves that success after these trials and tribulations is is very possible. So I think a good place to start is with you educating my uh, Felony Friday audience, letting them know about your background. Uh, maybe you can start out by where you grew up and and that type of stuff. Well, it's kind of funny. My my parents actually grew up here in Idaho, and uh, they wound up moving to Anchorage, Alaska. So I spent most of my life growing up in Anchorage, Alaska. And then um, after I graduated, I wound up coming down here to the States. But throughout uh, throughout my teenage years, I uh, had a drug addiction that progressed through um, hardcore drugs and um, heavy alcoholism. Uh, despite that, I was actually still able to graduate. I have no idea how, how I did it all, but, um, and I actually, uh, proceeded all the way through Boy Scouts too. I, I, I achieved the rank of Eagle Scout the same year that I graduated. So I was kind of okay with what I was doing because I considered myself to be a, a functional addict. Well, after graduation, it was a slow progression. Um, you know, downward spiral. I was even, um, there was a lot of different things that had happened before I decided to give up, uh, drug abuse and to pursue a better life. That includes in 2007, I was actually almost stabbed to death at a party. Uh, and then, um, you know, like I said, in and out of prison. So, I mean, can, I can little- you take us, can you take us through <laughs> a little bit what, what happened there when you were almost stabbed, stabbed to death at a party? Just, uh, well, well, pretty much, pretty much what happened was I, w- I was at a party and uh, a guy there had uh, thought I was somebody else. And so we wound up getting into a fight and uh, he pulled out a knife and uh, attempted to stab me to death. The, the knife came out in, in the hoodie in the, in a hoodie and a scuffle. And uh, anyways, basically what happened was what, what, what my injury was actually within my hand um, during the fight. A uh, knife got my hand <clears throat> and severed my ulnar nerve and my ulnar artery. So I had to have uh, emergency surgery within five days and have them reconnect that. But the, the point of that is, you know, basically even after that happened, uh, that still wasn't a catalyst, you know, to, to give up drugs. In fact, it, it even pursued 
uh, further, you know, and, and by this time in my life, I had already had some theft charges as a minor and, um, I had a domestic, uh, domestic violence between, uh, my roommate and me over drugs and, uh, girls and stuff like that. So, I mean, I was already beginning to build a rap sheet, but it was at the point in time when I left, uh, Alaska that my legal problems actually began. So during 2008, uh, I was actually, uh, homeless and I had no job, nothing. And, uh, that's about the time that I began to get into more criminal activity, you know, that goes along with, you know, drug abuse and whatnot. So basically I, I started catching misdemeanors, uh, petty theft charges, but the petty theft charges were because I was stealing beer and doing those types of things, you know? So there were more substance abuse problems rather than criminality problems. So basically it progressed to the point where I was caught with a empty bag, uh, of methamphetamine. So they charged me with possession of meth based on residue. And I of course pleaded out <clears throat> to drug court because I was fairly positive that I could beat the system. So I spent about 10 months trying to beat the system using fake urine and other people's urine, trying to pass drug tests and faking my way through it. Finally. So, you so know, when you say, if I could just go back, when you say you plead, you pleaded out. Um, so you, you got out with probation there or. Well, what, what, what we have in here in Idaho is we have some, uh, we have some court alternatives. And so we have a, a mental health court, ch- uh, child protection court, drug court, and a DUI court. And so what these courts are kind of set up to do is they're, they're set up to try to divert people from going to prison because we still have an old fashioned system here of determinate time and indeterminate time. So in order to try to divert people from, you know, going straight to prison, they have these programs for people that have either felony DUI or felony drug crimes or felony, you know, injury to a child or uh, any other type drug some drug cases can be moved over to uh, uh, mental health courts if you have a proven mental health problem. Now, in theory, a lot of these uh, concept or a lot of these programs are are good in theory, but they're they're incredibly taxing on an individual, and that's one of the things that I find kind of weird about the criminal justice system is that at your initial point you have this this drug court program that's incredibly hard and then you have probation which is a little bit easier and parole is actually far more easier than even probation is so it seems like the higher up you go like the less you know your probation officers and stuff care but yeah so anyways here in idaho in order one of the ways that they used to try to divert people from going to prison because i think idaho is sitting at 10 percent last year i think the stats were 10% 10% overpopulated here in Idaho. So, you know, they try to figure out ways that I divert people from uh, going to prison. So, yeah, we, I basically went into a drug court program and it's super intensive. And I was basically using, like I said, other people's urine, faking my way through the program, so on and so forth. <clears throat> so what happened was um, my house actually got raided it wasn't any kind of a big raid or anything. Just basically my, uh, some officers came over and 
got one of the other guys that was living at my house to open the door. They came in and uh, they busted me for another possession. And since I'm in another county at that time, um, I have two different felony possession charges for methamphetamine out of two different counties. So going through court, and everything I had to go back and forth between counties and see two different judges and deal with two different types of sentencing. It was a, it was a big old mess. So one of the things they also have here in order to try to divert, uh, overpopulation in the prison system is they have what they call a rider program. And so with a rider program, what it is, is basically they take you to a minimum security prison and they call it a programming facility, which is kind of a, Kind of a funny terminology. That's, but, a, uh, that's a messed up term there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> something well, out of the future. <laughs> yeah. So what they what they go ahead and do is they basic. I know that the the one at Cottonwood originally, I believe, started as uh, one of the boot camp programs. So you know they used to march all the time and uh, and and shovel snow and do all kinds of stuff. But anyway, so but whenever I got there it was more geared towards drug addiction programs and they have a, a sex offender group up there and, and a bunch of different types of programs. But so anyways, it was like a nine month program. They still had some of the military aspects. We had to stand online for count, you know, and people were passing out from the heat and stuff. It's a, it's a crazy place up there. But, um, but anyway, so I, I completed this program and I got out and I interstate, I interstate compacted back home to Alaska and um, that was in 2011. So what happened then was I did all right for a while, but I mean, it was only a matter of time before I was back to uh, intravenous drug use. And uh, at that point in time, then I transitioned onto heroin and methamphetamine. Let let me jump in and ask a, ask a quick question here to backtrack a little bit. So when you were in the program, uh, I guess two questions. When you were in the program, were you using drugs at all during that time? Were you able to get access to drugs? And re- was anyone else able to get access to drugs? Was there was were there drugs in inside the system? Oh, you're talking about uh, up in the actual up, up in the the prison, right? Correct. So this prison, so they send you to the actual prison to a, a place called RDU where they actually get you classified and then they can send you to whatever rider program and they can give you your LSI number, which is your, your, your likelihood of uh, recidivism uh, and, and, a, and a few other things like that. So you go to the actual prison first, and then you move on to whatever program you're supposed to be going to. So the one that I went to is a, uh, basically up in the middle of nowhere, it's up in the mountains. There's not really anything there. So you can't really get any drugs or anything from the other prison inmates because there's no, they call them timers and riders. So timers are people that are doing time. Riders are people that are on a rider program. So you can't really get any drugs or anything from the timers because there's not really any timers there. Um, there was a little bit of tobacco and stuff up there, but you're up there with a lot of you know, low level criminals. So you're up there with people that are going to, you know, rat you out for stuff and, and, you know, just a lot of that type of type of behavior up there. So, um, I had heard about previously people getting drugs up there, but I personally never saw them. All I really saw was, you know, some tobacco and stuff come in. Um, what was the second question again? Well, I think, I think you answered it. 
if you were using drugs or able to use drugs and if you saw any. So yeah, I think, I think he answered that you didn't, which, which is, uh, I mean, the, the reason I ask is because, you know, previous guests, when, you know, they've told me when they're in prison, the population still has access to, uh, to drugs. <clears throat> so well, I guess well, it, it I, depends on the situation, depends on the area. Yeah. And I should also, I should also stay, say once again, that this is a, uh, this was a minimum security prison, uh, like I said, program facility. So it is, it was slightly different than they call it. <laughs> they call it prisoning land because it's a little bit different than your standard, you know, <laughs> so, <laughs> but, um, so anyways, yeah. So I was, I was back home in Alaska and once again, things just, uh, progressed over time. And uh, I was only out for about a year and a couple months, three months or so, but yeah, it eventually progressed on to, um, getting high again. And I was running up home, you know, homeless in the middle of the winter in Alaska. Uh, I was staying with a couple other, uh, drug addicts and stuff. And, um, I actually wound up, uh, having a moment of clarity and I turned myself into an inpatient center in Alaska. And there's no, there was no fences or anything. It was a walk. I mean, there was a Carl's Jr. right across the street from us. This is midtown Anchorage. You know what I mean? And so, I turned myself into this facility and, you know, had the best of intentions on completing the program really wanted, this was the first time I really made a, a step towards wanting to make a change. And I spent about four months there at this place. And it was, it was really awesome. It was, it was the first time that I, you know, was in a program where we actually got to interact with, with females and, and, and we got to actually, you know, see women as more than just, you know, objects, you know, it's, it was just a totally different dynamic, you know, every day that you were there because there's no fences was the day you chose to be there. Um, it was a therapeutic community, but it wasn't the same type of therapeutic community that we have here in Idaho. You know, they actually give you the, the therapeutic community handbook and tell you to read it here. It's, kept away nobody even knew that there was a real thing as you know a, a ther- uh, tc handbook you know it's it was just completely different it was so much care and concern and uh but as being an addict goes uh, after about four months i thought i just uh you know couldn't do it and so i jumped ship and took off from the treatment center and uh i was out for about a week um you know i didn't relapse on hard drugs but i was smoking and drinking and trying to figure out what I was going to do. And I uh, decided to take off from my, my buddy's house. And I wound up spending a night in a homeless shelter and was just like, this isn't for me, you know? And so I went and turned myself back into my probation officer instead of uh, staying on the run. And Idaho extradited me back down here. Um, so at that point, uh, I was lucky enough to get uh, a chance at another rider. And it was, at this point where I was sitting there in, in a jail cell and I, I just, I have, I had the only thing that I could describe as just this epiphany, you know, just this moment, this, this, this genuine moment of clarity where, uh, I just was like, I don't want to do this anymore, you know? And so when that happened, basically I kind of just sat down and lined out this plan from stuff I've been hearing for the last four years, you know? And, you know, I was like, well, I'm going to develop this plan pretty simple. So they have an acronym, you know, KISS, keep it simple, stupid. So my program was basically based on keeping it simple. And so the simplest way I could develop a plan was to 
take and stop and redirect my thoughts. So basically do whatever old Rocky would do. So the concept of stopping and redirecting my thoughts was, well, anytime that I have a choice come my way, um, even if I look like an idiot, I'm going to stop and just think about it for a minute. And whatever old Rocky would do, I'm just going to do the exact opposite. Can you give an example of, uh, of, of something that would be redirecting your thoughts, something that would come up? Yeah, actually I can. I have a perfect example of it. Uh, it, So as I'm sure from doing this podcast for so long, you have, um, you're, I'm sure you're pretty aware that if you are in a uh, prison facility and there's a fight or an issue or something that happens and you roll out of a tier or you call on the officer to move you out, you're placed in this under criminal code. We call it criminal code, the basic, uh, um, you know, honor among thieves kind of thing, quote unquote. So, under this criminal code, you be, therefore become uh, a bitch, you know, you become bitch made. So with, with that being said, I actually ha- wound up running into some people that I had a problem with from years ago and them and I got into a fight. Well, actually I, they tried to attack me, but we got into a fight. And so I, I was back into my uh, cell and um, I started reading some books, started thinking about, you know, what to do. I just kind of sat there, took a time out and was like, well, what, you know, what would old Rocky do versus what would new Rocky do? So old Rocky probably would have waited until breakfast or maybe it was dinner. I can't remember what time of the day it was, you know, but old Rocky probably would have waited until breakfast and waited until one of them came up and tried to take my tray and, you know, smash somebody in the face with the tray. And then there would have been a big fight. And, you know, then I would have flopped my rider. Then we go to the you know, go up to prison and we're all fighting over something that happened that I don't even, to be honest, I actually don't even remember what the original thing that happened on the streets was. So, you know, that's basically what playing the tape out. So I, I, I ran the tape out and that's, you know, that's the worst case scenario if I just stay here and I, and I fight about this. So what are my other options then? My other options would be to, um, you know, emulate the person that I want to be. And so the person that I want to be is a square. So if I'm, if I'm wanting to be this square that's out there in the real world and they come into a, a jail cell and this happens to them, what are they going to do? They're going to try to contact the CO and move out. And so I sat there for about a half hour staring at the button, trying to decide, you know, cause w- once, once you make that choice, here's the, here's where the, the problem lies. So, once you make the choice to push that button, you can never go back to that. Because if I go back to that lifestyle after I push that button, I really am a bitch in that world. That's just the way it is. You know, that's, that's always the way it's going to be. Everybody knows that's just how it is. But the whole idea of the criminal code, like I won't tell on you if you don't tell on me and all this stuff like that, it's all garbage. It's not true. It's just, it's, it's just uh, bullshit made up in order to try to manipulate other people that are, you know, other drug addicts. It's just, it's all garbage. So, you know, once I, it was, it was really scary, you know, and I had to kind of make that, take that leap and say, okay, well, if I'm going to do this, I'm not coming back to this spot. So I pushed the button and I rolled out of the tier. And, you know, once again, like I said, you know, I haven't been back since, so it wasn't a bad move, but that's, that's kind of an idea on how to stop and, and redirect a thought. Um, instead of just instantly, you know, going over there and, you know, trying to fight, trying to provoke it, trying to keep it going, or, you know, trying to be big and bad, you know, in the tier, 
I did the most absolute, uh, like I said a few times, I can't, I can't stop saying bitch made. I did the most bitch made thing in jail. And, uh, but you know what? It, that doesn't matter in the real world though. So as I'm sitting out here and as I've gone through all these other things, it, it, you know, I'm not sitting here. People don't go, Oh, you push the button over there. Most people actually, uh, applaud the concept that I did that because it takes so much courage to overcome that type of a, a lifestyle. You know, I basically left everything at that point. And so, I mean, I, I don't know if that necessarily answers exactly what you're, what you were getting at, but that's, that's the example that always comes to mind when people ask me about stopping and redirecting thoughts. I think that's a great example. <clears throat> and I think maybe, um, you know, you make it sound, I don't think intentionally you make it sound simple, but I know that changing your behavior like that, really in anything, changing your behavior is never simple. It's it's hard to do that because it's it's what you know, it's what you're used to. But yeah, but um, looking at a situation, analyzing it, and um, looking ahead into the future and rolling out and seeing what your future consequences will be and what will happen. I mean, that's that's really what life's all about, right? So. Yeah, that, that totally makes sense that it would work. So how did you keep that momentum going after that first initial uh, change, that, the first uh, redirection? How did you keep that uh, momentum going? Well, um, to be perfectly honest, I've kind of been an a-hole my whole life. And so what I, what I, what I did is I took, I took a lot of the characteristics that I had that I thought had positive traits to them. And I tried to sift through my behaviors and keep what was good and kind of do away with what was bad. So instead of being an asshole uh, all the time, like I had been before and, and just, you know, making fun of people doing those types of things and, and standing up, you know, against, you know, people fighting those types of things. I, instead I took that and I basically sculpted it into being more assertive. So today I don't have a problem telling people, how I feel and my opinions on things. And, you know, I, I can tell somebody you're wrong and this is the reason why I'm not timid at all because I had that kind of uh, asshole level on, on the street, you know, on asshole behavior on the street level. I don't know if that once again makes sense, but you know, that's, that's kind of what I did is I take, I take a behavior and I would basically take the parts out that I thought were useful in this new life. And so that, that happens with a lot of things. And, and what you're saying before was, was true. And I use a lot of cliches today that, that come from the treatment realm. And so what you're getting at is, is how do you eat an elephant, you know, one bite at a time? So the, the, the idea is that when we make the decision to change, we can't change everything at once because we're not that new person yet. So what we have to do is we have to break it down and figure out what part we're going to change first. And sometimes we change some things and then we got to come back to it later and make some other adjustments. It's like, it's constantly changing. But so whenever I started making these changes, I first, I think one of the first things I actually uh, tried to address was uh, religion, which I don't really want to get into here, but you know, that, cause that's kind of a foundation for how a lot of people uh, get clean and sober. And if I'm going to be going to AA meetings and NA meetings and they're talking about higher power, I better actually address my actual belief system. And so I, I actually sat down and I did a bunch of reading and a bunch of studying. It took me months to go through um, 
you know, several different types of uh, religions and, and kind of find something that fit for me. And, you know, then I moved on to uh, my relationships and I kind of had to break that up and I broke it up among my friends and among how I wanted to have a relationship. And uh, it was actually shortly after I got out um, that I uh, started a family. And so, you know, another aspect that I had to kind of push everything else off in order to address is uh, what type of parent I wanted to be. How did I want a father? You know, I did want to take a uh, more soft approach or did I want to take a more authoritarian approach? How did my parents, you know, uh, parent? How, what did I like, you know, about what they did? Uh, what didn't I like? You know, they, those types of things. So my, my father uh, did a lot of uh, works, uh, a lot of slope work. So he was away a lot. Uh, we had a lot of really nice things growing up because, you know, we had the availability to pay for it. Um, being that I drive truck, I won't drive over the road because I don't want to be away from my kids. I don't make as much money as my dad did, you know, because I don't want to be away, you know. And so, you know, whether it's right or wrong, it's just kind of how you want to do things. And, you know, I um, when I stepped to an employer about uh, about not going over the road and doing long haul, um, I basically, in the long run, we had a disagreement, and I went and found another job because, it, once again, if we're principled, you know, and we have these things that we that we care about and we hold dear, then we need to stick to them because that creates a level of unhappiness when we do things that don't jive with our morals. I'm sure you're well aware of what what I'm getting at, but oh, absolutely. I mean, so, so what what a lot of people have, especially like people in the drug world is that they, they're still moral people. They have these morals, but they sacrifice them, or I should say we, you know, we sacrifice them so that, you know, we can have this specific image or be accepted into this crowd, or, you know, maybe there's some other type of underlying problem why people would subject themselves to that type of self-harm. Yeah. That, that world, because that's what the drug world, uh, at least the underground drug world really is, is it's a level of self-harm. Um, but, you know, so it's, once again, it's one of those things where we got to take small chunks and digest them, you know, just little by little. And pretty soon before I realized it, I was just this completely different person. And that that came with just, like I said, a slow amount of time of taking, taking an honest look at things and, you know, admitting where I've done wrong and, uh, you know, making amends where I could. And, you know, if I had made amends and somebody couldn't forgive me for them, um, I, I did my part. I have no control over what somebody else, what somebody else's, uh, what somebody else, if they don't want to take, if they don't want to accept it, that's fine. I can't, I can't control them. Um, I can't make them. It's not like I'm going to tell them you have to accept this. I did my part. I did something wrong. I said, I'm sorry. I have the intent at this moment to never do that again. There's my amends. The rest of it's on the other person. Yeah, you can't control how people react as long as you're true to yourself, true to your principles. Absolutely. Today's episode is brought to you by the Better Money Super PAC. The Better Money PAC was founded to identify and help elect candidates who will fight for their three founding principles of financial responsibility, safe cryptocurrency, and free market solutions. And the Better Money PAC provides an avenue for those of us who support sound money to the problems plaguing this nation. They provide a way to take action. And they're going to do this by 
investing in five selected races in 2018 to elect candidates at the state level who embody the fight for better money. We decided to partner with the Better Money Pack because we believe in their vision. You can support both the Lions of Liberty and the Better Money Pack by visiting lionsofliberty.com slash bettermoney. And of course, credit, debit, and crypto donations are accepted. So once again, lionsofliberty.com slash bettermoney. Let's get back to the show. So I'm, I'm curious to know, you've been sober now for six years. You completely changed your life, completely changed who you are as a person, started a family. Um, you're having success in, uh, in truck driving, being responsible. At what point in time did you decide, hey, why don't I get into politics? <laughs> I, I mean, that's that's not something a lot of people just, just take on. But because uh, it is, it's a sacrifice. It, it's not easy. I mean, you have to campaign and raise money and and, and put time into it. So um, but what what's driving you into the political arena? So um, when I originally got when I originally got out on probation, we had to do you know, community service and, and you'll probably get a kick out of this, but the community, my, my probation officer and the probation here in, uh, Twin Falls, Idaho district five, you would have to go down and, and clean the offices for, uh, your community service. And usually with, you know, 20 guys, 20 guys and gals there, it only take about four hours and they give you eight hours for it. So I was doing it for a little while. Cause my probation officer told me I, I had to do it for community service until, um, as I was going through school and I started learning some more stuff and doing my own research and everything, I came in one day, I said, Hey, I'm not going to come down here and clean anymore. And she basically told me I was. And I said, well, I said, you know, you guys tell me that it has to be for a 501 C three organization, which you guys are clearly not. And I'm sure that you have somewhere in your budget for a janitorial service, which you don't use because the felons come in here and clean and take out the trash every week. So, you know, I don't know what else to say other than I'm not doing it anymore. And um, so anyways, the, it, basically that kind of came to a head and I started thinking about how I can give back to the community since I've taken so much. And it was also at that point in time when uh, a gentleman that was doing my tattoos and me started talking about doing some music together. And pretty soon push came to shove and uh, we created this band. And when we started creating it, I told him, I, he's actually a, a felon as well. And I told him, I said, the only way I'm going to do this is if we like are playing benefits, giving back to the community, you know, if we use this platform and this microphone for, for something good rather than for our own self game. I mean, we, we still played shows where we got paid and stuff, but uh, I don't think we ever turned a benefit down. Uh, we actually had people call us because we were known for playing benefits and helping people raise money. Uh, one year we, uh, one year we wanted to feed the homeless people, uh, on Thanksgiving and I can't remember the exact number, but the, uh, city told us that we had to get permits to feed, feed the homeless people on in uh, my partner's shop. So, so we had to get. So we had to get permits, but also we had to pay for a state guy to come down and make sure that the food was safe for us to serve it. So basically we had to pay this guy holiday pay, a state employee holiday pay out of our own pocket. It came out to be something like, I don't know the exact number, but it was something like a thousand dollars to, to put this on. And we basically told them, uh, we're not going to pay you a thousand dollars to feed homeless people. We could 
give every homeless person that came to the door a jacket for a thousand dollars. You know, like we're not, we're not going to pay you to feed. So, um, I asked because it was my partner's shop and I asked him, I said, well, what do you, what do you want to do? And he said, well, I'm, uh, I'm still going to do it whether you're here or not. I said, well, I said, I'm going to do it with you. You know, I mean, if I'm going to be arrested or fined for something, it might as well be, uh, you know, for something good, you know? So we went ahead and did it. Didn't get bothered at all. We also spent the last three years uh, sponsoring, putting on rock shows and sponsoring families for Christmas, raising money. And um, so we've done that the last three years, in, yeah, including this last year. So um, <clears throat> what happened was after that, my bass player moved away and kind of things were getting kind of hard, you know, to, to juggle all this different stuff. And uh, there's a lot of politics and music too, you know, and uh, anyway, so what I, what I decided was that, um, as the band began to dissolve, um, I wanted to continue to affect change, but I didn't want to be the guy out there on the corner with a street sign, you know, that nobody really pays any attention to, or, you know, just somebody who just rants and raves. And then I'm just this, you know, crazy guy on the internet or something. So, um, I decided to, to run for office and I did a little bit of research and the level of change I want to affect isn't on the local level. It's on the state level. Um, so I basically uh, did a little bit of research, chose an opponent and, uh, I'm, I'm going for it. You know, um, I consider myself to be a, uh, liberty minded free market conservative. Um, I would love to run on a libertarian ticket, but it's here in Idaho. They don't get, elected and so i'm running on the republican ticket and the the big thing that i had with that because i went through this real moral back and forth between some of the guys in the local libertarian party and some of the people that i've had helping me in the republican party and uh you know if, if what i've read is correct which which i believe it was when it when the libertarian party was birthed out of uh uh colorado these were people that were already, uh, you know, pretty conservative people. They just weren't, you know, didn't agree with the, um, uh, you know, had the conservative principles in people's private lives, you know, keep the government out of, you know, out of my wallet and out of my bedroom. And so <clears throat> since, since it was still on a, on the right side of things, I was like, well, you know, I'll, I'll run as a Republican and, uh, that's, you know, pretty much how, how we'll do things. So, but that doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to compromise, I'm going to, uh, compromise on the things I believe, nor am I going to, um, you know, bow down or, or back down like I've seen other candidates do in the past when they get hit on hard issues. You know, most of the stuff that people want to argue about with libertarians are more philosophical issues. So somebody might say, oh, well, in a libertarian utopia, how, you know, who would build the roads? And so, I mean, typically my response to something like that is that uh, if, if we were to the point where we were arguing on who would build the roads, if we were so far right that that was the argument, instead of stuff like microaggressions and, uh, you know, uh, Black Lives Matter, I mean, just this, this other, you know, if we were arguing with the left so much that we could actually have realistic uh, right, you know, right side debates, like, like, you know, privatizing police, privatizing the roads, you know, those types of things. I would be far more happier, but at this point in time, it's a moot point to even try to debate or even argue those types of things because we're just not there yet. 
So once again, just yeah. Taking well, it I mean, I, th- I think I think that's a great point. I, I just, I just got to jump in there because I think I have something no, good okay. to say on the who will build the roads <laughs> thing, and I, I can't pass this opportunity up. But I mean, <laughs> my my response to that is always, I mean, the same people who build the roads now will build the roads <laughs> then. It's it'll just be funded differently. It, I mean, it, w- yeah. it won't be funded through uh, taxation and coercive government. It'll be funded through. Uh, voluntary means or some sort of uh, you know a, a fee to to drive on the road or uh, a private road somebody owns it and maybe they own some businesses on the road so they have a incentive to have the road the people who build the roads will be the same people who build the roads now it'll they'll just be paid by somebody else but anyway sorry continue no no that's right so that's right actually I wrote I wrote a, a pretty detailed article on the uh, I write for an uh, outlet called the Rouser News. And it's a uh, small libertarian organization. And um, I, I actually wrote an article on uh, who would build the roads. And there's a lot of examples out there. Of, you know, there's um, there's the uh, Euro Asian highway that they have built. I think that's the one that's under the road. They have another double-decker one that's, that's uh, underground over in Europe that, that's privately funded. Uh, I believe that highway like 91 over in California, maybe it's not 91. There, it was privatized for a little while. And then I think the, the state bought it or so, but there's, there's an, basically what I'm getting at. There's an extensive um, uh, examples of, of privatized roads. And I mean, it's, it's not something that's that far fetched. So what I, a lot of pushback I get on a lot of these different types of issues is people go, well, if you, if you go ahead and give everybody their money back or stop taxing everybody, people won't pay, people won't pay for these things. You know? no. And so the, when I push back at that, I, I kind of come along the lines of, well, you know, Americans are relatively taxed at 30, you know, 30 to 40% of their income. Um, and so if you gave and, and we're already the most charitable nation on the planet voluntarily. So if you were to give, 20 to 30% more income back to these individuals, then you're going to have three different things happen. One is some people will not pay if they have the option to not pay for a service, um, which that can be combated with tolls and that kind of stuff. But you have some people that won't pay for it at all, which is fine because the people that are already donating 10% of their income after taxes that's going to drastically increase because you you can't tell me that somebody who's already charitable, if they're given more money, that all of a sudden they're just going to turn, you know, super greedy. Like those people that already donate part of their income are going to donate more. And then there's people that are at an, at another level, like, like I am, I donate some, uh, some of my, uh, income if, you know, when, when, whenever, whenever it's possible, but you know, I would love to donate more. So if I had, you know, 20% more income, I would donate more. So you're going to have these people that are at this level where they can't donate at all, even though they'd like to, or they, you know, they would pay for a service or, you know, they would do whatever they, you know, they would spend that money exactly where it needs to go. So then what you'd have is you'd have a lot more uh, uh, programs that cut down on uh, waste, fraud, and abuse, because you would have uh, uh, private organizations that could discriminate against people that were simply lazy. And so I had a, I had a guy from Oregon talking to me about how his mother can't get retrained because she doesn't qualify for this or she doesn't qualify for that. And I just told him, I said, well, if you had a private organization and your mother actually needed to, um, you know, 
be retrained or something, then, you know, uh, most likely somebody would privately fund that. Right. Cause right now you're having, you're telling me that the government is not, you know, willing to reinvest into your mother. And the reason why is because his mom is, you know, almost a senior citizen. And so it's kind of like healthcare. I don't mean to jump around too much, but it's kind of like healthcare. Does the, uh, does the new, does the 20 year old guy get a new ankle or does the uh, old man get a new hip? You know, when you only have limited resources. And so, yeah, well, you don't you don't want it to come down to that, and that should be that should the government should have no obviously no uh, no role in that decision. Yes, that's the, correct. That's the, that's the ideal scenario. But anyway, you know what what I'm really interested in uh, in asking you uh, when it comes to politics, running on the Republican ticket in Idaho, being someone who was a, a former drug user who now is I'm assuming against the prohibition of drugs. I don't know how far you take it. If you take it to legalize all drugs, you, you can get you can get into that. But I'm curious what kind of response you get from people in the Republican Party out there in Idaho. You know, I get uh, the people that I've, I've chatted with, they, they find I, I try not to dive too far into um, theory with them because it's just going to cause more problems. I try to focus more on the areas where we agree because, I mean, obviously that's political strategy, but in, in the end, I mean, last thing I want to do is sit there and argue with somebody. I'd rather agree on things that we can agree on. And then once we've achieved those goals, then we can sit down and talk about the, the, the things that we, Jason Stapleton always says something that I love. He says that, uh, he says it's an inches game. And so it's always about taking inches. It's not about ever giving any up. And so I'm, I'm concentrating on, on smaller steps. That way I can gain as many inches as possible towards a liberty movement. You mentioned the uh, war on drugs. And so um, I'm a strong advocate to abolish the war on drugs. Uh, and I, in a, in, a, in a society where the roads were privately funded and uh, the police were privately funded, you know what I mean? And we, we lived in this, uh, quote unquote, libertarian utopia then yeah, I would say that uh, all drugs would be legal with one stipulation. The, the, the stipulation that I have is drugs that that are proven to actually cause violence. So stuff like PCP is it would not be something that I would advocate for being uh, recreationally used because there's a strong correlation between the behavior that somebody has on PCP and and or you know and not so. You, and so what happens is people lose control. They become actually violent while on PCP. So once again, something like that, I, I would probably <laughs> not advocate for. But I mean, going well, what, wouldn't the- I think in a situation like that, if you had truly legalized drugs across the board and something I like to always say is prohibition is chaos because prohibition pushes everything into the black market and introduces violence as a means of arbitration. But legalization is order because it, it presents a situation where the market can come in and, and regulate things. So when you talk about something like PCP being legal or drugs that cause people to go nuts, like bath salts, things like that, I, I think it's good to make them legal, to bring them forward, because when uh, people in the you know, when store owners, people open, running businesses selling these drugs, if they're selling a, a drug that has a nasty side effect and causes someone to go off and, and kill their wife or something, that store owner could end up being sued. But I think, I mean, I think the more that we can bring 
out of the shadows where people can be held accountable for their actions, I think the better. Well, and yeah, that's, and, and what, what that kind of gets to, and, and even currently with the law, that's, it's real dicey territory. Cause it's, you know, well, uh, you know, if, if, if we have shops that are selling marijuana and it's not like a marijuana bar where you just go and smoke and leave, uh, if we're having like these, these shops that are selling them just like people are selling bottles of liquor, uh, you know, and so then we have this shop that's selling PCP too. Um, the guy sells a PCP, the guy goes out, the other guy goes out there and commits a heinous act. And, uh, then the guy who sold it to him should be responsible, you know, should be responsible for that. Well then, you know, why can't we do the, why can't we push that law towards people that are selling, you know, bottles of alcohol. So if a guy gets drunk and shoots his wife, shouldn't the, uh, uh, place where he yeah, but it's, it's not it's not in the interest of a of a shop owner to to sell something that makes someone go insane. That's like the old the old uh, meme I've seen going around where it says something like Rand Paul, Paul Ryan, and Ayn Rand uh, walk into a bar. They all have they all order a drink and all die because the alcohol's tainted because there's no government regulations, which doesn't make any sense. It's not in the self interest of the owner to kill his patrons. It's not in the self self interest of the owner to to give somebody PCP and then go commit a crime. And then it gets around town that, Oh my God, this guy's, you know, handing out PCP, selling PCP. And one of his patrons just killed someone. I don't think any, I don't think anybody wants that. And see, I think that's, I think that's, uh, uh, I think that's uh, a valid point at, at the same time. Like I said, I just, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't know any other way to explain it. If I, if I know that something's going to be, uh, okay, so so this is I guess this is the way that it would be, and it wouldn't necessarily take care of the the, the black market uh, aspect that that I fully agree with that, that we have with drugs right now, where you know you have this cartel come in and 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 you know supply to this market, but the market for PCP is also very slim because of those effects, anyways. But I guess if we were going to have something along the lines of uh, of of PC, uh, PCP policy, which is such a weird debate. I've never heard PCP policy debates. But if we were going to have something along those lines, uh, so probably the, the middle ground that I would find would be uh, a, a decriminalization, because then people can still be held accountable for their actions, why they were on the on the substance, and we don't necessarily have uh, have a full uh, uh, shop selling PCP. But you know what I mean. Then it's also not necessarily that we're going to go out and raid everybody's house for PCP as well. So we're not. Yeah. Hey, if we're if we're to the point that we're arguing about legalizing PCP, I think we're <laughs> in a pretty good spot. So yeah, that's that's, that's, that's usually <laughs> the ground that I fall down on right there. If we're if we're to this point, like we're we're good, you know, we're 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 where we want to be, really, you know. So yeah, that's that's pretty much that's pretty much about it. Like I said, after I well to kind of loop back around to connect the story again once i got out of uh prison the last time i went ahead and uh, uh went to a school and got my cdl decided that i wanted to keep going to school i went to a college of southern idaho uh for about three years and left with uh five associate's degrees and then i transitioned to washington state university where i'm uh, projected to graduate in two years with three bachelor's degrees and uh bachelor of science in psychology a bachelor of arts in political science and economics and a bachelor's of arts in criminal justice. And I'm planning on currently my plan is to transfer to a uh, university of Missouri for their economics program. So um, that's, that's, that's awesome. Well, I'm, I'm curious with that and you have m- many more degrees than me. I just have one. So you, you <laughs> will have me outnumbered by, by many degrees. 
but <laughs> have you had any any issues with uh, these universities, these colleges <laughs> accepting you in to even take classes with your with your criminal record? Nah, my criminal record actually really only has affected me in um, state licensures, which I don't agree with at all. But you know, if I wanted, so if I wanted to. I had some pushback about being able to get hours in to be a uh, uh, substance abuse counselor. They didn't want they don't want me to to be a substance abuse counselor, which cracks me up. Uh, and I had a few choice words for the lady at the state office because I thought it was completely ridiculous. But so, anyways, I can't get certain licensures with my felonies and um, housing. People don't want to rent to felons and people don't want to rent to people that have drug addictions, especially like methamphetamine, because meth will stick to everything. And they don't know if I was ever a cook. So the the how how do we solve that problem? Because I hear that from literally everyone that has a felony record that the biggest hurdle is finding a place to live. How, How do we fix that? So so that's that's actually a great question, because then we come down to this this real uh, libertarian idea. So does do we enact laws that make it so people cannot discriminate or ask about criminal records? Or do we maintain with property rights where the individual that owns the property can ask for whatever they want because it's their property and they're renting to you? I mean, where, you know, so where do we fall on this line? So if I was taking a completely libertarian standpoint, then um, you know, I, I would say that they would be able to, you know, request a background check. And as today, I would actually say that I would agree with them being able to uh, solicit a background check from me. Now, where we can change, where we where we can change this is if we once again did away with the uh, war on drugs and took a more realistic approach to um, drug abuse and and recreational drug use. So. If we if we did that and we stopped criminalizing people and giving them criminal records for substance abuse, then it would, then I wouldn't necessarily be affected by searching for a house because they could do all the background checks they want. There's no criminal record because well, drugs are not criminalized. So that's that's one aspect. And then most other most other crimes have some form form of a victim. So if they have a form of a victim, then yeah, you should definitely be able to ask somebody if they've um, robbed a bank or if they've um, assaulted anybody or if they've committed murder or if they've committed credit card fraud. You know, when you have these these crimes that actually have a victim, yeah, you should, you know, the property owner should have a right to ask if, or, you know, or solicit a, a, a background check or, or whatnot. You know, they're getting ready to give up a piece of property for you to live in. So um, that would probably be where, where I stood on that was if we address the criminal or the, the drug problem that we have or the, the problem with the war on drugs, then uh, we actually might be able to kind of move away from the absurdity of people asking for or discriminating against people that have victimless crimes. Yeah. You, you know, I wonder if there is a way <clears throat> for a private organization – to come in and at least mitigate this problem. I don't know if it can be fully solved, but uh, by offering some sort of uh, felon insurance or something like that, whereas uh, they, you know it would be like, 
I don't know what what the what the title or certification the organization would need to have. I don't know if it would be a a charitable organization or, or a private organization, but the, the the end goal would be that people with a criminal record, felons, would be able to join, and there would be a a monthly fee, monthly subscription, or annual subscription if, if you want to pay it in a chunk and save some money, and then that that money would certify you as a a good tenant or, or, or whatever you want to call it. That way, if you, you know, this uh, good tenant label, this good felon tenant label um, would come to be known as the insurance behind it would be this this fund of money. So uh, felons would be able to go out and get housing. And if something happened, if they started cooking meth and blew up an apartment building, then the funding would be there to pay for that. But if they didn't, if they... So you'd want to have an incentive for them not to do that, obviously. So what you would be able to do is set it up so you're investing that money. And then if they live for a year or two years in an apartment building and everything goes fine, you're able to to pay them back. Um, I, I, I'm just thinking, I'm just spitballing here. I just thought of this idea right now. So I don't know if any of that makes any sense. It probably doesn't. But I think there's a huge opportunity here for somebody to step in and really impact a lot of people's lives in a positive way and maybe also make some money too. So I don't have to think about this more. Well, they have a thing that's kind of like that uh, already for <clears throat> the felons that have uh, are, are basically getting into a, a job and might have a, you know, a theft or something like that. And I'm not exactly sure because I, I, it didn't really affect me, so I didn't really dig into it. Um, you know, I, I didn't ever have a problem getting a job, so I never pursued it, you know, learning about this anymore. But you can actually, as a criminal, you can actually be bonded through a job. And so I don't know if it's through, it's probably through some kind of government funding, but basically uh, you can, um, the employer can actually get um, reassured through a, a bond that you aren't going to steal you know, from their cash register or something like that. And so the bond goes up to a certain amount of time. And like I said, I don't know all the, all the specifics on it, but I know that that's a real thing, but yeah, like what you're saying is that, okay, so like you could create a 501 C three or a 501 C four or a private organization or whatever the entity would be. And so what would be great about that is that then if, you know, felon or criminals could actually sign up for this type of program and there could be a level of incentive for, um, people that rent to, you know, you know, let, uh, find tenants through this this program, and so what this program basically does is it's similar to like a monitoring program. So the longer you're out and the longer you're doing good, the better credits you have, the better credit rating that you have. So yeah, it'd be kind of like a credit. So the better credit rating, you know, criminal. We'll say criminal credit rating. You know, so the yeah, it'd be a criminal criminal credit rating for criminals. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so the, the better criminal credit rating you have, the the more likely these people uh, would be to to rent that house to you. Because there's a lot of people that you know. After I transitioned out of renting a house, they were happy, you know, that I I lived there. They're like, you know, you're one of the better tenants we've ever had. Tenants we've ever had, and you know that's that. And I'm and I'm a felon. Most of the time, on I got rejected from so many different applications, you know, but. You know, I'm, if I'm one of the better tenants and, you know, they're also renting to people that aren't, you know, felons, then, 
you know, once again, we're sitting here just when I go and speak at the treatment center, I go and speak at the treatment center that I aborted from every time I go back home for Alaska. I was just up there for Christmas. I went and spoke. What I tell them all the time is that my past doesn't have to dictate my future. And so just because I have a past and I have to disclose it on an application doesn't mean that that's the same person that I am today. So what you're getting at would be actually really a really awesome thing to have, you know, where, where there was a way to show people that I'm not that same person anymore. Cause now the only thing that we really have is time, you know, through time, um, you know, I could just, I, I could eventually just build myself back up. And, uh, but like I said, you know, before we started the show, you know, right now it's public record and, uh, you know, anybody can, anybody can find that stuff out about me. So even right on my, my landing page for my, my website, uh, I, I talk about, um, you know, being in the criminal justice system and, uh, you know, catching felonies and stuff. And it's, it is what it is. And, uh, I think that ironically, I think that it's made me a more understanding person to the criminal justice system because I'm sitting here and I have degrees in criminal justice and I've been inside the system. And that's one of my strongest points is I just have a real strong understanding of where, you know, of the system and, and what works and what doesn't at least to a, at least to a degree on being, being there. And then, you know, looking at some of their, some of the theories, because the thing about school, man, is that it, I, like when I started taking political science, I was like, cool that, you know, we have some applicable stuff here. You learn how to run a campaign. You learn how to do that. Some really cool stuff. And once again, it's all theory, you know, which is what's so sad about how much, you know, well, that's a whole other topic about how much school costs. But, you know, it's 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 this thing where you just go there and you basically just study all this theory. You know, there's no there's no practicum unless you go ahead and, you know, take a course for it, you know. And uh, so, I mean, I'm just, you know, once again, with 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 the stuff I was interested in with political science, this is just another way for me to just jump in and get, you know, get what I've been looking for out of it. And I'm one of those people that I just, I just jump in and do it. I can sit there and read the stuff all day, but it's never the same as doing it. And so, um, once again, I'm just, a just a regular guy, you know, that, that, you know, had some problems early on in his life. You know, now I drive a truck and I got two daughters and a wife. I'm just a, a regular guy, you know, um, <clears throat> running for office. And I think that that's, uh, you know, a fresh approach to what we have right now here, you know, and it's, you got these guys up there that are voting against, we have a grocery tax here in, uh, Idaho and is basically an additional tax that's implemented into the groceries. And so, um, and I believe if I'm correct, which I could be wrong, disclaimer, but I believe it was actually enacted in about 2008 in order to try to counterbalance the budget during the recession. And <clears throat> so it was supposed to be open-ended to be able to be taken away later. And I believe it was last session that they voted on it. They voted on getting rid of it. The Idaho Freedom Foundation, they do a lot of really good work. They, I believe they were the ones that put forth the bill <clears throat> to get rid of it. And it actually went passing the, uh, passing the house. And, uh, but governor Otter, went ahead and vetoed it uh, so that they could keep, you know, the, the taxes coming in. So, you know, once again, it's, it's a, it's a real bum deal that, that we get these, this, this good legislation, you know, coming through and, you know, it gets smacked down, but yet, you know, we just also in the same legislative session, we had a, 
they started to regulate dietitians and anybody who does American sign language uh, has to get a license from the state, has to pay a license from the state to uh, do American sign language. So, I mean, once again, we're sitting here and we're, we're, it's all ass backwards and, and we just need people in there that, that have a realistic outlook on, you know, our, just, just the, the economy and the the business and uh, market. I mean, it's just, it's just frustrating in the end, you know, it's, <laughs> I get so frustrated when I think of that, man. <laughs> Can you vote in Idaho? Can felons vote in Idaho? So the way it goes in Idaho is you, you, once you serve your time or complete your probation or your parole, then uh, you have your, your uh, rights reinstated. And so, yeah, once I finished my probation, I was able to uh, register and vote. The only thing that there's a waiting period on is the gun rights. And that's the only thing that they have any type of stipulation for. So I have to wait. Oh, but you can actually get your gun rights back though in Idaho with a felony. Yeah. Um, most, most states like Alaska, Idaho, like hunting states that, that are actually, you know, promote the ideas of hunting, uh, will allow you to get them back. I believe, I, I believe Alaska will give them back right away for rifles and archery. But Idaho, I believe you have to wait five five years from completing your sentence. So five years from the time that I finished my probation. Um, they have they have to give you your gun back when they let you out in Alaska. You might get mauled by a grizzly bear walking down the street. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's pretty it's pretty wild up there. There's, I mean, every time we go up, you know, there's moose and and yeah, bears. My parents live out and they they live on the outskirts of. Uh, anchorage and their backyard is the woods and i mean they get bears and uh moose and stuff that wander into their backyard all the time so yeah so i mean you can get all your all your rights back here i mean i'm trying to think of even all the rights there was voting gun rights and um yeah you know like i said before the felonies haven't really affected me very much uh beyond housing and you know, state licensures. Um, I haven't really felt, felt the effects, but once again, my, my felony isn't, isn't as severe as some people's felonies. You know, some people have, mm-hmm. you know, some, you know, something that actually affects, you know, where they're going or what they're doing. You know, it's something that has to do with a trust issue or something that has to do with a violence issue or, uh, you know, and like an honesty issue like theft or something like that, you know, you have, or even conspiracy, you know, even these, these conspiracy to commit burglary is almost, you know, is worse than, uh, uh, you know, having a, a, a drug or a substance. But in actuality, judging by the law, you've actually committed a crime having a drug versus conspiracy, which you've just planned to commit a crime. So yeah, no con- conspiracy, that, you know. conspiracy is just them getting <laughs> you on not agreeing to, you know, a plea deal where you give up other people and that's what conspiracy <laughs> is. I mean, it's, it's bullshit. But yeah, no, but what I'm saying is that even, even due to the, even by the law, you haven't even actually technically committed, a, actually gone out and committed the crime. And people most of the time will see the conspiracy to commit burglary worse than, you know, a felon possession, a felony possession of methamphetamine, which once again, you know, falls right in line with, 
there's, you get a lot of pushback from people just because they're loud about it, about wanting to, you know, not wanting to do away with uh, the war on drugs. But a vast majority of the population, if you put it to a popular vote, um, you're going to get more people wanting to get rid of the, the war on drugs and people that want to keep it. It's just, it's, it's really common sense. And, you know, what it's, yeah, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to, to keep spending billions of dollars on, on something that's just not working. Yeah, well, I I agree with you, and I want to be cognizant of your time, so we're going to wrap this up. But I, I I do agree with you that if you put it up to a popular vote across the United States, legalized marijuana, I think a hundred percent, not a hundred percent. I'm very certain that you know you'll pass with like at least sixty forty would be in favor of full legalization, decriminalization of marijuana. You get into different drugs. Um, probably not. Uh, I think people would still be still be against it because they don't understand the effects of the prohibition making uh, everything worse. But anyway, Rocky, I want to give you a chance to, uh, and I, I don't think I asked you um, what position you're actually running for. So please say that. Please give us your website where uh, everyone can can find your campaign and and donate and and learn more about your your platform out there. And also, uh, feel free to plug anything. I, I know you've you've written some articles and stuff like that. And also, um, I don't think I asked you the name of your band. So where, where can people check out and uh, listen to your music? Okay, so my, my band is called This Awkward Moment. And uh, we're on every streaming platform. Uh, even though we're not a band anymore, we have an EP out that's a five five-track EP, and we have a song called The, the System that's uh, very, 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 very libertarian-leaning. So uh, that was kind of one of our one of our biggest songs uh, regionally. Um, so we're on Spotify, we're on uh, iTunes, any, any platform, YouTube, all that kind of stuff. Um, my website is pretty simple. It's uh, rockyferenberg.com. That's R-O-C-K-Y, F as in Frank, E-R-R-E-N, he is in boy, com, And, um, that has everything on it. It has a, a little bit about me. Uh, it has my, the issues that I, I'm addressing and I plan on addressing my whole platform ways to contact me. And of course the support button to support the campaign. Um, and then, uh, I do write for the, it's called the Rouser news. And I've got a couple articles up there. So, uh, the most recent one actually just got published today. And if I'm remembering correctly, it's the 400th article that's been written for the site, which is a pretty cool achievement, you know, to, to get that far in it. But uh, it actually is addressed. It actually should have came out a while ago, but it addresses the uh, how the free market is solving uh, sexual sexual harassment. So, and it really digs deep into, you know, how how the free market is is changing sexual harassment and taking down some of these big tyrants. Uh, and now all of a sudden you're having government trying to catch up to that. And, but the problems are already being solved by the free market. So it's a pretty interesting article. I would, you know, advise everybody to go check that out. Like I said before, I got one about, uh, privatizing roads and, uh, one about the, uh, non-aggression principle and, uh, capital punishment, you know, a b- bunch of stuff over there. So I try to be as active as possible between school and family and work, you know, so. Yeah, Rocky. Well, thank you for coming on, and we'll link to all that stuff in the show notes. Maybe you can send me links to to some of your uh, favorite articles there, and we can link to those as well on the show notes page. Sounds great. All right. Thank you. Thank you very much, John. Hope you guys enjoyed that conversation with Rocky Ferenberg. I know I sure did. 
you know, Rocky and I had talked about uh, when we planned this uh, this interview. I was going to interview him for about thirty to forty minutes, and an hour and ten minutes later, bam, we, we'd gone we'd gone just a little bit over, which which tends to happen. And even after we ended the interview, Rocky and I talked for another 10, 15 minutes. So what we're going to do is make that available for our Lions Pride members. And if you want to be a member of the Lions Pride, you can join uh, by going to lionsofliberty.com slash support. Our uh, highest level, our highest level is actually uh, $100 a month. There's only limited spots there. You get a, you get a, a bunch of merchandise. You get our monthly conference call. And you get to run some ads on our on our program. And we can tell you the details about that. If you're interested, you can... Uh, you can uh, sign up at that hundred dollar a month level, and we'll uh, we'll work it out with you. But the next lowest level down, twenty five dollars a month. We have a lot of people there, and we have a monthly conference call with all those guys with our with our Lions Guard. We call it also twenty five dollars a month. You get a bunch of merchandise, two free T shirts, koozie, and of course you get all of our bonus content. Ten dollars a month, you don't get the the call. You get uh, some free merchandise. And uh, you get all our bonus content. And at the $5 a month level, you get access to all of our great bonus content. Of course, some of that bonus content being a little extra interview with Rocky Ferenberg. We have our running series, uh, Cons- Conspiracy Corner. We have our running series, Degenerate Gamblers. We have extra questions with all kinds of different guests. And uh, Brian will do some... Uh, renditions of his famous Rand pluses and minuses. He'll do them for the pride. So it's a great time. And it's only five bucks a month to get in at the lowest level. And it all goes towards building this show up and getting us to our next goal. So we've been running ads on other libertarian podcasts, expanding our reach. Um, that goal started happening at, I think, $500 a month is where we, where we did that. Um, we're at about 700, a little over 700 bucks a month now. I think last I checked, 715, something like that. Um, we want to get to 1,000. When we get to 1,000 a month, that means we are hitting the road and we're going to start going to some libertarian conventions, some some liberty, uh, liberty-focused conventions. So please help us to help you and get out there in the streets and pound the pavement for liberty. Uh, just a couple more notes before I wrap this up. You know, I really did enjoy my conversation with Rocky. I just want to stress that again. Rocky is not a libertarian. I don't even think if he, I don't know if he considers himself a, a small L libertarian even. I know that, I think he said he's a conservative leaning libertarian or something like that. And I don't think that the path to liberty is, I don't think the long-term path to liberty is through the GOP. You know, I think the long-term path to liberty to really making an impact is going to be, well, really outside of politi- politics altogether. But the vehicle has to be a third-party vehicle outside the duopoly. Right now, that looks like it's got to be the Libertarian Party. So I'm putting a little bit of energy into the Libertarian Party outside of uh, Lions of Liberty. I'm not endorsing. Lions of Liberty is not <laughs> endorsing the Libertarian Party. But I just want to make clear that you know I think it's very important to for Libertarians, small L Libertarians and big L Libertarians, to support candidates in the GOP or in the Democrat Party who have uh, libertarian-leaning policies, even if it's only a couple different things. It's very important to build coalitions where we can. Uh, That's what we have to do, and that's how we're going to make progress. That's how we're going to take our country back, and that's how we're going to get the government out of our wallet, out of our lives, and let the government know that we, we own our lives. We are individuals, and 
we can run our own lives. So guys, I don't really have a lot else to say today. I know it's surprising. Let's just leave it at that. Thank you guys for listening. This is John Odermatt signing off. Always remember to keep your head up and the fire is the liberty burning.